believe that's the majority of the announcements that we have this morning. And I would ask you just to, to pray with me as we open up the word and, and uh, see what God has to say this morning to us. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have spoken, that you remind us of what real life is. You tell us of what's better and that better life isn't exactly as the way that, that we might think it is with our human minds, our finite minds, our fallen minds. But you remind us of the path of life. And it comes through your word as we understand you. It comes by submission and humbling ourselves before you. It comes as we understand who you are and then who we are in light of who you are. And so this morning as we look at your word, this first Sunday in 2009, We ask that you would be at work in each of our lives, that you would open it to us, that you would remind us of what's true. Some of us who have walked this path for many years and others only for a short time, that regardless of where we find ourselves, that there would be something new. There would be a new refreshing aspect of what it means to follow you, that our minds would be quickened to understand what's true, that our our lives daily would be invigorated to live out what's true to fight sin and the snares of sin, to demonstrate to others this gospel that has captivated us and remind us anew of how good you are and the hope that we have in Christ. So this morning, guide us, enable me as the messenger here, your spirit to to meet your word in each of our lives and our particular circumstances to give us exactly what we need today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. A couple of verses that we're going to look at this morning. Um, I've spent some time in this certainly over the last week, but these two verses, if any of you were at the men's breakfast in November, we kind of use this as a jumping off point in talking about the fear of the Lord. And I've just spent more time in looking at this idea of the fear of the Lord, and I've just been taken by it. And I thought this would be a great kind of first Sunday message, if you will, for this new year. And and so that's why we're looking at this this morning, the benefits and the joy of of what it means to to fear God, to walk in the fear of him. Verses four or chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. I'm going to read these two verses since it's a short section. I'm going to read them twice. How's that? So I'm going to read them once and then we'll read it again to get a hold. And of course, I'll read it a few more times throughout the sermon, but uh, 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. One more time. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. I don't know how many of you, as you begin the new year, if you're consistent at writing down resolutions or kinds of goals, I would like, if you've written down somewhere in a thoughtful kind of way, goals that you have for 2009, would you raise your hand? See one here, two, okay, I see that hand, okay, (laughs) okay, there's a few of us, and I would guess the rest of us either intend to do that, or maybe we don't. Maybe we've written down those goals in the past and we look back at them when we're just embarrassed by them and we go, why do this again? Why, why you know, submit ourselves to this kind of misery and wondering will we make any progress in this new year? There's something certainly good in that. We were at a party the other night 
on the New Year's Eve, and there was a number of us present. And one of the activities that we were part of was uh, writing down on a piece of paper uh, anonymously our goals for the new year. And then we put them in a little box and we pulled them out and we tried to guess what goals, what the goals were for people as they would come up. And it was rather entertaining activity, although sometimes you weren't sure exactly how to respond. You know, certain different ones would come out, right? Different kinds of goals that people have. One individual um, who remained nameless, he's, he said, I want to eat my age this year. I want to eat my age. And we weren't sure exactly what that meant, but we had an idea of maybe what that meant. And somebody else had something to do with growing six inches taller and that was me and I didn't I'm not sure if I will that will really happen this year or not and uh can pray for it right another person said my goal is to have no goals this year to make no resolutions and so on and so forth is the way that we deal with that but the bottom line is right as we come to this we think about it we find deficiencies in our lives we find areas that need attention we think we find things that we do more than we should and we find things that we do less than we should. And so we try to kind of bring some sort of balance in the midst of, of this world of, of, of how we live. And yet as we look at this passage this morning, I think it will bring some clarity for us. It will help us in a couple of different ways. And certainly most of all, it will help focus us as it relates to our relationship with God. It will provide what we most need. And that's a focus, a focal point, a reference point in our relationship with God. Because as that's certain, as that's said, as we grow in that area, everything else flows out from that. The two things I think will be helpful for us, first of all, is the reference point. And you see in this passage, the fear of the Lord as that central theme, certainly throughout the book of Proverbs, but that the fear of the Lord is a part of this and that provides a reference point for us. It certainly reminds us of the nature of our relationship with God. A healthy relationship with God is one of reverence before Him and so we bow before Him and we understand that that's our reference point and we live in light of who He is. And the second reference point or the second thing that will be helpful for us as we consider this passage is a kind of hope that we have. It's hope that we have because of the reference words, it's a hope that flows out of having lived our lives in the fear of the Lord or living our lives in the fear of the Lord or growing in the fear of the Lord. So the reference point is the fear of the Lord and the benefit or the joy of that is the benefit is, is a hope that we can have in 2009. Certainly as we look ahead into 2009 and we look at the year, we don't know exactly what's going to happen Kelly and I looked back at this last year and there was a sense of, wow, we couldn't imagine all the things that would transpired in our lives. And many of us might look back at 2008 and go, whoa, I didn't see that one coming or I didn't see that happening. Something good, perhaps, or something very challenging, perhaps, that was there. And yet that reference point of the fear of the Lord and the understanding brings us a kind of confidence that we can have in the fear of the Lord. Remembered, I probably need my notes. Keep me going here. So as we look at this passage, we see that the fear of the Lord is a kind of foundation. You see, it begins both verses, and it's kind of that hinge point, that foundation, kind of a hub, if you will. And there's many things that come from it. There's many things that we experience, benefits, that come from living and walking in the fear of the Lord. Indeed, this passage describes four different spheres of our lives that are touched upon, that grow out of the fear of the Lord. Very, very briefly, the one sphere has to do with our external world and the circumstances. And we find that there's a kind of confidence and refuge that we can have regarding the external circumstances of our lives. Secondly, there's a kind of awareness and restraint that we have as we confront the sin 
that is so easily ensnares us in our lives, in our inner world. The third sphere has to do with the world that we are made for. And we find that in the fear of the Lord, we have a taste of the world that we were made for. Not the entire taste, but a foretaste of that world that we're made for. And then finally, we have the opportunity as we walk in the fear of the Lord to pass something on to the next generation, to the world that follows us, this generation. And so we see these four realities, these four spheres in which the fear of the Lord affects. There's an illustration I have in my mind. I wanted to put it in our bulletin and Betty got them printed off too quickly. But in my mind, there's a picture of like a hub. If you picture, a, there's a big hub in the middle. And this, this hub is the fear of the Lord. And it, attached and moving out from this hub are four different things that are connected to that. And indeed, these four different spokes, if you will, are these different spheres of our lives that are tied to and grow out of our fear of the Lord, the external world of our circumstances, the internal world of the temptation that's there, the world that we were made for, and the world that is to come, the next generation. And indeed, there's many other spokes that would come and would flow out of the fear of the Lord, but this passage gives us an understanding that at least those four things, those four benefits come to those who walk and grow and cultivate this fear of the Lord as it's stated there. And so if you have in that mind this picture of a hub with these four spokes, it's going to kind of give us a framework to where we're going to go today. I hope to talk about what it means to, to fear the Lord and then to explain and discuss each of those worlds, each of those ways, those benefits that we get from walking in the fear of the Lord. The book of Proverbs um, is just a collection, collection of wisdom sayings. The first nine chapters are really a series of lectures. The next chapters that follow and the section that we're in are little couplets, two-line verses that just follow. And they, they sit generally individually and separate from each other. But of course, in the passage we're looking at, we find that there's a connection that these two have that are together. And so this is really gives us a sense of wisdom and what's, what it means to walk with God and how to live wisely. The key phrase, of course, in the whole book of Proverbs is this idea of the fear of the Lord. And if you'll turn with me to chapter 1 of Proverbs, we'll see the thesis statement for the entire book. Indeed, it's repeated throughout the book of Proverbs, and it's helpful for us to know the trajectory of, of where Solomon, as he is compiling all the, this wisdom, where he is going. And the basis of wisdom in verse 7 of chapter 1 we see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And indeed, this is repeated throughout the book, that the very beginning of knowledge, the very beginning of understanding or any kind of wisdom comes in submission to God. And the point there is that our knowledge or our ability or our understanding does not come from our own capacities. It does not come from our own abilities to evaluate or to analyze or our own resourcefulness or our own ingenuity. That our wisdom and our knowledge, anything that's, that's ultimately real in that sense, comes ultimately from God. That it comes ultimately from the sovereign one who says this is what real is. This is what knowledge is. This is wisdom. And it comes as we submit to him and we listen to him. Not just listen to ourselves. Not just listen to what the experts have to say. But as we listen to what God has to say, we actually can find what is ultimately true. And ultimately something that we can base our lives upon. So we will find nothing worth having unless we begin by submitting and listening to Him first and foremost. 
and the Word of God and what He has to say. So knowledge and wisdom come from Him. And these two verses describe this fear of the Lord in which all these, this knowledge and wisdom is based upon. These two verses are connected and they hinge upon this idea of the fear of the Lord. And each informs the other. The fear of the Lord, we see confidence and we have a refuge. We see a fountain of life that's connected. And we see this fountain of life that protects us from the snares of death that's present there. So we see they have a relationship. There's a synthetic kind of connection between verse 26 and verse 27. In which we can more, we can more fully understand what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord and the benefits that we gain from being and living in the fear of the Lord. So this is the hub. As we talk about what that means, I'm going to take just a couple minutes here to unpack what does it mean that we walk in the fear of the Lord? What does that phrase exactly mean? Because we don't like it necessarily. It can be certainly be misunderstood and miscommunicated. What does that mean to have the fear of the Lord? Jerry Bridges in his book, the, the, fear, or the Joy of Fearing God, I would cite that as a, a reference point because I'm going to take about five or six minutes to talk about the fear of the Lord and it's much more broad, much more rich than that. But he says in it that it's better described than it is defined. And indeed, because it's a relational term, fear is, is something that will re- describe our relationship with God, a healthy relationship with God, as we understand of who He is and who we are. And so we can't even begin to scratch the surface of exactly what it means, but we're going to take a few minutes here to do that. The second thing I need to qualify, and this is going to be hard, I don't know how to say this exactly, so that you will continue to listen to what I have to say here, but I want to say that I don't know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't you love that for a a beginning point, a preface? Uh, Jerry Bridges began his book with this same kind of comment, so I figure I can do the same thing. Because even as we begin to dive into this idea of what does it mean to walk in the fear of the Lord, I realize I don't know much about what that really means. To really fear the Lord, to really know what that means. I know just a little bit. There's moments, there's times where there's a sense where I have a grasp of what it is. I have little strands of what it means to fear Him. But I would ask the question as I look at the rest of my life, I wonder how, how much it's, it's involved in the whole of my life and not just in the parts. And so, even as I begin, I'm a learner. We're figuring this out together. And yet I know that this is the hub. That walking in the fear of the Lord is the key for the kind of life that will honor God and will be, if you will, beneficial to us. It's better described than defined for us. It defines or it describes one's relationship with God. In a sense, from a biblical perspective, one who fears the Lord is one who knows the Lord. It's one who walks in close relationship with God because he knows who he is. And so those two ideas are synonymous. The one who fears God knows God. The one who knows God walks in close relationship with him because he understands who he is. So it's an an idea of one who walks with God. And certainly you see if... In, in most Bibles, it will have the Lord there in the, the upper case letters to, telling us that the Hebrew word connected there is this Yahweh. It is the Lord, the sovereign one, the covenant God of Israel. He is the one we are to fear. Here's the one we are to reverence and to, to stand before. A couple of illustrations I want to give you that I've had in the last month, month and a half of my life that, that have kind of encapsulated for me, at least in one sense of this, this fear of the Lord. And I'm going, to, I'm going to pull a couple of ideas from each one of them. First of all, this was about a month ago. It was an evening. It was uh, early in the evening. It was dark. Um, I, was, I was running on, a, I oftentimes run on a trail south of town. It was a, a paved trail, beautiful place to run. Uh, the sun had set. 
and I was running, and I was ready to be done, I will tell you that. And I was, in fact, my wife was expecting me home, and, and I don't like necessarily running in the dark and some of the trails back there and so on and so forth. But as I was running, I was coming, I was making my way home. I looked up, and I saw right in front of me the largest, most orange moon you could imagine as it was coming up over the horizon. And I'm running, and I see this amazing sight, the beauty of God's creation set right there in front of me. You've had those moments and you see it and you go, wow. There was a sense of awe that struck me in that moment as I saw it. And even though in reality I didn't stop and bow and fall on my face, although I felt like it (laughs) for a couple of reasons, um, (laughs) in my heart I bowed before God and said, wow, you created that. You made that with beauty and with majesty that we see. There was a sense of awe, and you placed that there for us to view, a sense of gratitude, a sense of awe, a sense of fear of who God was. Not too far from that point in time, and we've had a number of these kinds of nights, was in bed in the middle of the night, and there was a pretty ferocious wind that came, was blowing against our house. You've heard those. In fact, last night was one of those nights I didn't sleep very well as a result of that. But I remember this one particular night laying in bed and listening to that wind just literally shake the house. You can hear the shingles move and everything in the house creak. And you're going, it feels like the house is going to fall down. And there was a sense again of the awe of the power of that wind as it came up against the house. And yet in the evening, I remember laying there and yet going, wow, what power. And at the same time, I thought, I'm glad I'm inside. I'm glad that there's a place of safety for me to be, to be rescued from the wind. There's a sense in both of these accounts, of both of these illustrations, of a sense of awe and a sense of gratitude. A sense of awe at the power and majesty of God. And at the same time, a kind of gratitude that that same power, that same force, that same wrath would not overtake me. That there's a, there's a kind of security that ultimately I could have in God, that He was the Creator and I was the creature, that He was the God, I was the fallen man, and yet before Him I can stand. And so this, in these illustrations of awe and gratitude, we have for us a picture of what it means to fear the Lord. It's a mixture of both of those, a sense of who He is and a sense of what we get from being in a right relationship with Him. Before him, And so this, these are illustrations for us of what it means to fear God. In Scripture, the fear of God and the love of God are not far from each other. They're, they're, they're used almost in synonymous terms. In Proverbs 8.13, it says, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. And in Psalm 97.10, it says that you who fear God, you who fear the Lord, hate evil. And you see that the same outcome comes from those who fear God and those who love God, that they will hate evil. And indeed, from the, in the call to worship, you saw this idea of, of, of God as one who, if he kept a record of sins, that indeed, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore, you are feared. You are to be feared. And so we understand that in forgiveness, there's this mixture of love, this awe, this sense of, of who we, and gratitude of who God is and what He's done for us. We understand awe. We understand gratitude. We see love as a, as a facet of this. This notion in the, the congregational prayer earlier, but the difference between servile fear and filial fear. Servile fear is a kind of fear of a slave at the whims of his master, whereas this filial fear is this fear 
of a son, this reverence, this affectionate reverence of a son or a daughter. And in this case, it's before a holy and good God. So we see that all these are facets of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, though, in each of our lives, we were to ask, does one, do we fear God? It is manifested, it is seen only in our submission and our obedience to God. It is manifested in our lives only in our submission to Him and our obedience to Him. Not in our words, we can say we fear God, but it is only seen in the way that we live. As we obey Him, as we submit to Him, we demonstrate. And only then do we demonstrate the fear of the Lord in that respect. We might feel the fear of the Lord, but we demonstrate it in our actions of obedience and submission. I want to read two definitions of the fear of the Lord that have been helpful for me. The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. Affectionate reverence that enables us to obey, to bend ourselves to his law. The second definition goes like this, that the fear of the Lord is an indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what He's done for us. So it's a mixture of all these things, of awe, of joy, of pleasure, and reverence as we understand who God is and what He's done for us. And if this is the hub, okay, gratitude and awe, combined the presence of God in our relationship with Him, understanding who He is rightly, who we are rightly, and out of that come many benefits. And this passage gives us four ways, benefits that we receive. Four spokes, if you will, that are tied and connected to the hub of the fear of the Lord. That each touch on different spheres of our life. The first one here we see is that it offers to us a confidence in an external world of changing circumstances. In a world that is unsure. Verse 26 there you see that in the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge It's in the fear of the Lord. It's in that awe and gratitude that we have strong confidence and our children will have a refuge. A strong confidence is the kind of security that we have. It's a sense of security and well-being knowing that we have someone that we can depend on. Someone who is watching over us. Someone who is in control of our lives. And refuge is a picture of that same thing. It echoes the same idea. It's a place of confidence that we run to. It's a place that we can offer for our children. It's a place, though, that everyone who fears God can run to and have confidence. And it really protects our minds. It protects our hearts. That same idea in Philippians chapter 4 when Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but by everything in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And he says that the peace of God will protect and guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a protection for us. The one who is in the fear of the Lord can be confident. And we don't have to worry. We don't have to wonder exactly what's going to happen because we know that He is in control. However, I don't want to confuse, I don't want us to confuse confidence for, for control. Because in gaining confidence by fearing God, we give up control of our lives. We turn over something that we think that we had to start with to Him and say, in the fear of the Lord, my life is yours, and thus I have confidence because you are the Lord. No matter how much I think I have control in my life, I turn it over to Him. In the fear of the Lord, I submit to Him and I give my life to Him and say, you rule. You are the one that needs to take control of my life. And in Him we trust completely. 
And a right relationship with God is one in which we submit, in which he, one in which he is in control, and we give up the control of our lives in that respect. And that he is the one that we can have complete confidence in. And the beauty of this, the one who fears the Lord, what we have as opposed to what the world has, those who don't know God, those who are depending on kind of random fate, that maybe things will turn out, maybe I will win the lottery, maybe I'll get better, maybe I'll get a job, maybe something in the vast cosmos, something will happen that will enable me to do better. Or, not, or depend on human ability or our own ingenuity to think that we can do it. That's not confidence. That's not confidence at all. Nor do we hope in random chance and circumstance that maybe it will happen. Reminds me of a show I was watching just recently called the... It's uh, Maybe you've seen it. It's called Planet Earth. And it's a wonderful series by the BBC. And just describing the incredible complexities of nature and creation. And they opened up one of their their episodes with this, describing the planet. The, the uh, narrator says... The planet, the planet Earth is a very lucky planet. And that lucky planet they went on to describe and its distance from the sun and its rotation and gravitational pull and the environment that's there. It's a very lucky planet to be like it is. And of course, we recognize the foolishness and the silliness of using that kind of language. There's nothing lucky about it because God is in control. But as we walk with God, we have the hope not of a God who is fickle and reluctant, nor is a God who might be good and loving but unable to do anything. We don't have a God sitting on the sidelines who's, who's called his best play, but he sure hopes the outcome of the play is good, and yet he wonders. We have a God who's able to be involved intimately in our lives, in each different aspect of our lives. He is in control. To place control, the driver's seat, the steering wheel in the hands of God is not like placing it in the hands of a first-time driver. Some of you who are first-time drivers will be glad of that. But you realize that it's one who knows exactly where he's going. He knows how to get there. He knows how to to lead us as his people. There's an example in Daniel, and I'll give you the reference. Daniel chapter 3, 15 through 18. And in this passage, there's a picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know this story if you've been around. If you haven't, I would encourage you to read it in chapter 3, where Nebuchadnezzar, They've exiled all the, the people of Judah, and, and he has set, set up for himself this, this golden image. And in this golden image, he has commanded everyone to bow down before him to worship it. And of course, we know that these three Israelites choose not to bow down before God. They say that they will not do it. And, and indeed, the, the penalty of, this, of not bowing down is that they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar is thrown into really a a rage as you realize they won't respond. In verses 16 of chapter 3, you see these three's response, and it's based upon their fear of God. It's based upon full and complete confidence in what God will do. More, it's in confidence in this God who is in control. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. There's no question to be asked here whether we bow or not. There's no decision to be made whether we will fear God or we will fear you. We will fear God first, and that will dictate our decision. That will dictate how we live. Because we are confident that he is able to deliver us from your hand. And then they go on. 
They don't know the outcome exactly, though, do they? They have confidence in God and they know what the decision is, but they don't know what the outcome might be. They go on to say, But if not, be it known, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't protect us from the fiery furnace, we're not going to respond to you. And you see this kind of confidence. We see the miraculous response that God intervenes and he protects them in that respect. Many other individuals didn't have the same kind of miraculous intervention that they had. Many of us are still wrestling with how will the outcome come of our circumstances? What will happen as a result of the circumstances in which we find ourselves? How will God meet us? And nevertheless, whether we know the outcome or not, we can be confident that he is able and he will carry that out. Whether our world is falling apart, there's still a confidence we can have in their external circumstances. Sat this last week with uh, Michelle Barnes. Michelle just lost an aunt this last week. And this aunt that she lost, it was a very, it was a sudden, unexpected death. I know it seems like a silly kind of way to say it, but it was unexpected death. And she um, was grieving the loss. This aunt was really like a second mother to her. And we just sat with her and we're talking with her and, and praying with her. But there was something she said at the end of our conversation that just struck me. I think it's so helpful for us to hear. Instead of asking the question, why did this happen? Her question was, how do people do it who don't know God? How is it that people walk through tragedy when they don't have the confidence in a sovereign and good God? How do people do it? And for us, as we walk through the external circumstances of our lives, the 2009, we don't know what it will hold. There's a confidence that we have in the fear of the Lord. One aspect of our lives that the fear of the Lord affects is our external, external circumstances, but it's not the only one. The passage goes on to describe internally a protection that it provides, that the fear of the Lord provides a kind of restraint and awareness of our own susceptibility to deception. In 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. You see a picture there of protection that enables us to turn away from the snares of death. It protects us, if you will, from ourselves. It's a security not from without, it's a security from within. It's protection not just will happen outside of us, a confidence. It's a protection even from ourselves. Protection from us. We see that there's an awareness there that we have of our own sin, that it gives us a snare in this situation. A snare is something that allures us from our real purpose in order to destroy us. A snare takes a hold of our desires. It takes a hold of our appetites. And indeed, you can have a picture of an animal, right? What do you snare an animal with? You snare an animal with something that they want. You snare an animal with something that they desire. And in so doing, their desire will overcome their ability to think and they're led away to death. That's a picture here of what takes place. That's a picture of the snare that's being described. It's a, it's a snare that brings a kind of destruction we need protection not only from the outside, but from ourselves, our own appetites, our own desires, from greed, from lust, jealousy, envy, anger, malice. We need protection from desires that even seem not to be snares to us, that don't seem to be wrong, but our desires can lead us away into a kind of death and a kind of destruction. And so the fear of the Lord gives us a kind of restraint. It reveals to us the reality of these things. In the book, The Voyage of the Don Treader, 
uh, one of C.S. Lewis's books in the Chronicles of Narnia. There's one episode in this this book. It's where the the the, the boat is is led. It's taken into this dark planet, as it's called. And in this place, they find that that not dark planet. It's a, the dark island, and that this our island is a place, as they find out, is a place where dreams come true. Initially, it's told to the people, and they go, "This is the kind of place we want to go, right?" The place where dreams come true and the guy who has been rescued from this island says, no, think about it. This is the place where dreams come true. And immediately everyone on the boat realizes the many kinds of dreams and wants and wishes and desires that they had had. Many of the desires they had that were not kind. Many of the desires they had that would bring harm upon others. And so in the story as they realize that this place and what would come as a result of it, they begin to turn tail and run as fast as they can. They row as fast as they can from the consequences of their own desires. And what God provides for us in the fear of the Lord is not just protection from without, it's protection from ourselves. We need protection from ourselves because evil not only attacks without, but it attracts from within. And so in the fear of the Lord, we find this, that one may turn away from the snares of death. It restrains us by revealing to us and shows us what we are to hate. It it makes us aware of our own susceptibility, that each one of us has an infinite ability to deceive ourselves, to be steered away, to be snared by something that we want. And so we need God informing us on what's true and what's right and what's good and what's not good. Because there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death, as Proverbs tells us. That our own perception isn't always the best judge of what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's not. I have a little nephew who's 15 months old, and every time he's at Grandma and Grandpa's, Kelly's folks' house, there's a, there's a hot stove, they have a wood stove in their basement. And every time he comes in that door... And he sees that fire going, and what's a little 15-year-old, or 15-month-old, 15-year-old maybe too, 15-month-old think... Oh, I want to go to that. Something attractive, something inviting, something that looks very interesting and appealing. But you know what he does every time? He comes in, he's been taught to do this. You can see it in his eyes. He wants to go for the for the stove, but he says, hot, hot, hot. And he says, it's a place. It reminded himself, I don't want to go there because I know that it's hot. And you see all the adults around him go, trying to, go, what's he going to do? Is he going to make a bolt for it? But each time I've watched him, as much as he wants to go, he's kind of, his body's moving towards it, right? But he goes, hot. He's reminding himself. And we need a reminder of what's hot. We need a reminder of what will snare us and what will destroy us. And the fear of the Lord, the fear, a healthy fear of who he is and what he says will enable us. First world, external world, that gives us a kind of confidence. Our internal world, that gives us restraint and awareness of our sin. The last two, I'm going to move a little quicker. You might be looking at your watches and going, wow, how long is he going? But the third one we see is that it gives us a taste of the world that is to come. The world that we were made to have. Verse 27, there, the first part of it says that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. See, God not only wants to move us negatively from the things that will destroy us, He offers us something better, more fulfilling, something that lasts longer in our relationship with Him. He says, I don't want you to go there because it will destroy you, but I want to offer you something that's even better than what that can offer you because it lasts, because it's real, because it's tied to me. And the fear of the, the, fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. He offers us something positive, something better. 
And yet our tendency, right? We know our tendency is to try to fabricate for ourselves something that we can make that will satisfy us. But Jeremiah 2.13 reminds us that the two evils that God's people then and still today commit, that we reject the fountain of living water, and that we build cisterns for ourselves. And if you look at that passage, they're broken cisterns. They can't hold any water. They don't satisfy. And we do the same kind of thing. We reject God. We reject the place where life is to be found. And we try to build for ourselves by our own design, according to what the world says, according to their design, these cisterns which will hold, hold no water. And it's only in the fear of the Lord. It's only in submission to Him and listening to Him Will we find and taste what it means to truly know God, to taste from what He has to offer the world for which we were made, instead of building our own, which will not satisfy? And so part of our challenge is to cultivate a lifestyle of the fear of the Lord. And as we do that, we'll experience more and more of the life. We get a taste of what it means to know God in this kind of way. First spoke, external world, there's a confidence we have in our circumstances. The second aspect, our inner world, there's a kind of resistance that he gives us in the fear of the Lord. The third one is we get a taste of the world that is to come, the world we were made for. A foretaste, nonetheless, but we will receive the full at a later date. The third one is this world that we can pass on to the next generation. It enables us to pass on a legacy of solidity and vitality. This world of confidence, this world of awareness of our own sin, as well as a taste of the world we were made for. And you see there this picture of passing it on to his children will have a refuge in verse 26. This idea of the children certainly is biological, but it's more than that. It's not just our children in our home. It is the next generation. Is this idea pictured for us, if you will, in this place. How many children do we have under this roof or will have under this roof? This year, there's a responsibility that each of us have to live this out and to pass this on to our children as a congregation. Indeed, each time Bill does a baptism, what does he say to us? He makes us stand up right at the end. He says, stand. And why do we stand? Because we realize that we have a responsibility to the child being baptized. We have a responsibility and a privilege here to live out the fear of the Lord and so demonstrate what it means to walk with God. To live out as a people of God the kind of confidence that we have in a myriad of circumstances. To live out the security and safety we have in our inner world that He enables us to avoid the snares that will lead us to death. Enables us to taste of the world that He's made us. And we have that opportunity to pass it on to others. It's an opportunity to send something worth having to the next generation. But there's only one problem, at least as I look at my own life. And the problem is we can only pass on that which we have. We can only pass on something that we have tasted and experienced ourselves. And so the challenge for me and the challenge for us is to cultivate a fear of the Lord in the way that we live, in the way that we walk. So that we will have something to pass on. So that others will see, the next generation will see what that looks like. We won't do it perfectly. But there's a great hope that he will enable us to do that. To cultivate this life. It will not happen overnight. It will not happen immediately. It happens over time. There might be points in time, those experiences, illustrations I used earlier, um, those moments where we're aware of the the awesomeness of God. But it generally happens over the course of of just day in and day out. And I'm going to read and conclude with a, with a, 
A quote from Jerry Bridges' book on the normal process of growing in the fear of the Lord. He writes this in contrast to these kind of point-in-time experiences, which are real and important, but won't sustain us. He says, There have been a few times in my life when the Holy Spirit gave me such an overwhelming realization of God's glorious splendor that I had no choice. I was simply impelled by spontaneous reaction. So we have these times we become aware of it. But, he says, our normal experience, however, will be to quietly and slowly grow in our apprehension of the infinite majesty of God. As this happens, we will choose to bow before Him in worship and adoration. The normal experience is to quietly and to slowly grow in our apprehension of Him over the course of our lives. Slowly, as we come to understand Him and who He is, And as we come to understand our condition and our great need for Him, we understand our our circumstances outside, our sinfulness inside, our longing for the world to come. We see that He is the one that will provide a confidence for us in each of those areas. We're able at that point to grow in our understanding of who He is. And this is over the course of a lifetime that we do this. About a month ago, I was putting up Christmas lights. And I was on an extension ladder on top of my roof. So the extension ladder was on top of my roof, okay? I have a roof. An extension ladder is the only way I could get to another point on my house. I know that's not smart. Um, each year I do that, I realize how less smart it is as it goes. But I was up hanging the lights, and you know what I was thinking to myself? Why the heck am I doing this? <laughs> Why am I putting lights up here? Here's the interesting thing. Over the course of time, when I was 18, I'd climb up a ladder. No big deal. No awareness at all that I might fall. No awareness of all of what the fall would even do to me. I was, you know, immortal, so to speak. Each year, as I've grown older, climbing that ladder takes a little more out of me. Takes a little more, there's a little more fear that's injected into that reality. Of the reality of height. The reality of gravity. A greater sense of fear. And my wife would say, that's a healthy thing. And I would too. And it's come as I understand my lack Understanding my condition, understanding my susceptibility to a fall, and then to realize what the fall would do to me. And that apprehension has come over the course of time. As I understand me, I understand and to fear gravity, to fear height. And the same is true for us. We see ourselves in our need for God, and we see how great and awesome He is. It will enable us to relate with Him in a way that honors Him, in a way that will enable us to truly fear Him in the way that we walk. Let's pray. Oh, Father, our desire this morning is indeed to be people who walk in the fear of the Lord, who love You, who stand in awe of You, who are sincerely grateful for all that You've done, to walk in that affectionate reverence by which we will readily bow our knees and submit to you in obedience to respond like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego quickly. There's no decision to be made but to honor you in this. Father, would you as a, enable us as a congregation to walk in the fear of you, to enjoy all the benefits of doing so, so that you would be glorified, that we would be built up and the next generation would see and be caught by the wonder of who you are and take that to the world and the next generation. Father, there are those in our congregation this morning 
who need the strong confidence and the refuge that the fear of the Lord offers. And we pray that that confidence would be close to them. Pray for Michelle Barnes and Fred Thomas, David Hartzler, and the loss of their loved ones, that you would be close there. Pray for Barbara Stevens, her mom dying of congestive heart failure. Father, would you be with her and her family in this process, in this time? Continue to be close to the Huffmans and to the Whites. We pray for Amanda Berry with the heart irregularities that you would enable, that you would heal her and bring, um, bring the healing that she needs. Pray as well for Jane Nutell and Albert and as they continue to do tests on her and the heart disease and exactly what's needed to be done, would you be with them and they would look to you and find the confidence that they need. And Father, for the myriad of other circumstances in our lives that we would walk with this strong confidence because we know you. And Father, we think about the missionaries that we have the privilege of sending, the ones who, who carry out and walk in the fear of the Lord and who, who take this gospel uh, to people literally around the world. We pray for Brad in Asia, that you would continue to protect him and be with him, enable him to be bold and wise in the way that he presents the gospel. Father, we pray for Dan and Tina Redman with AFCI. Father, would you be with them and their ministry, their evangelism, and the way that he equips men to walk boldly with you. Father, continue to provide for them and care for them and empower Dan to do what it is that you've equipped him to do. And we pray for Rick and Amy Mumford with Youth for Christ in Douglas County. We ask that you would continue, Father, to use Rick to take the gospel to the world of the high schools and the junior highs. These young kids that need to hear you and see a picture of what it means to walk with you and to see and to hear the gospel. So would you do that in and through Rick and Amy? Father, throughout this year, enable us to walk in the fear of you, to, to love you, to walk with confidence and boldly before you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.